Since the increasingly deadly war on Gaza began in October, many Americans have protested against and voiced opposition to the war due to the U.S.'s role in arming Israel. College campuses across America have acted as a center for protests and anti-war sentiment. The New York Times notes that a, quote, sustained anti-war protest like the one against the Gaza invasion has not been seen for decades, end quote, arguably since the Vietnam War, with activists drawing parallels between the two. I spoke with leftist activist and UCSB professor emeritus Dick Flax, who was a founder of the anti-war and leftist group Students for a Democratic Society in the 60s, to learn more. All right, hello. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Well, I'm Dick Flax, and I'm a emeritus professor of sociology at UCSB and a longtime a uh, sociologist who studies uh, social protest and student movements and so forth. So that's maybe a couple of credentials for our discussion. All right. Thanks for speaking with me today. Glad to do it. So you are founder of the left wing and anti-war group called Students for a Democratic Society. Can you tell me a little bit about the group and about what protest building looked like for you guys? Well, we began that organization in the early 60s before the Vietnam War, and I think the main um, impetus for it was the Southern Civil Rights Movement led by African-American students in the South, and a lot of students in the North, Black and white, wanted to be in solidarity and help support that. It was a very inspiring moment in all of our lives because the, the, the civil rights struggle was such a purely and beautifully moral struggle uh, for rights that uh, were obvious to being denied and obviously necessary. And so a lot of people, um, who, uh, white students from the North and black students went South to put their bodies on the line as well and SDS, Students for Democratic Society, came out of that uh, concern and that impetus. But also, it was a time of uh, the nuclear arms race was quite fierce. There was constant worry about the potential for nuclear war and about the waste of resources on weapons and, um, and the military. And uh, the generation of students that I was involved with at that time, we, we, we wanted to get beyond what was called the Cold War and beyond the arms race, some, a new kind of world order was something we were hoping for. So those were the two themes and the two, uh, the two impetuses for students organizing in the early 60s. And then, uh, once that was happening, it became uh, obvious that campuses, administrations, and institutions were not very amenable to uh, social change. And um, so there was a third theme, which was in the student movement that was emerging, which was we wanted more freedom on campus to 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 speak out and to dissent, and more uh, curriculum that was devoted to the world that we were in, uh, we thought the whole question of relevance was a big term back then. We wanted relevance. And so uh, SDS started with, uh, you know, not a very large number of students, but very engaged. 
And after the Vietnam War um, really escalated and uh, people were being drafted to go into that war, that was in the mid-60s, so that's several years after SDS founded itself, uh, the organization hugely grew because we were the first national group to organize protests against the war in Vietnam. And um, uh, that put us on the pages of newspapers in a way that we hadn't been before. So um, lots of people joined because of the coverage we were getting in the press, not because of direct organizing. Anyway, the organization grew very much <laughs> toward the end of the, it's the second half of the 60s. It became much more militant, confrontational, uh, and uh, uh, that whole series of dramas on campus after campus uh, happened during the mid to later 60s, focused on the war and the way in which Often it was the way in which campus uh, act, uh, institutional uh, connections to the war were discovered, like war research being done on campuses, like university facilities being used for companies that were making weapons to recruit you know, students to uh, work for them. Uh, these were focal points of protest and you know there's a whole detailed history that i've been trying to document in my work but many other people as well about all those events it all came to a, a head in may of 1970 when um uh the war expanded into cambodia uh, nixon uh, ex escalated the war beyond what it had been this led to uh, really a national student strike, and there were probably 5 million students on strike after the um, Cambodian uh, invasion, be because right after that invasion, a protest at Kent State University led to National Guard's uh, troops firing and killing four students who were protesting nonviolently. Uh, and that was, of course, a tremendous trauma for students. And so we had a huge strike, for, went on for weeks uh, in the spring of 1970. I want to mention that because it's sort of a forgotten, very dramatic moment at the time and forgotten now. Most students now don't realize that that protest did occur. So that maybe that answers your, your question in terms of sort of a brief sketch of what happened. I mean, the war didn't end for another five years after that. And so there was a lot of protest that spread beyond the campuses. By the, by, the, by the 70s, there was much more widespread involvement of many other people besides students in opposing the war. There was an anti-draft movement. People who drafted into the military refused to serve. People in military began to rebel. There was a considerable rebellion within the armed forces. So uh, people who are interested in social change need to really learn about that whole period because it, and it all paralleled and converged with 
civil rights and and black liberation struggles as well. And by the end of the 60s, you had a a growing women's movement, you had the uh, beginnings of gay liberation, and you had environmental protest as well. So so there's a continuity from late 60s to the present in terms of some of the issues that students uh, will become activists around. and I've always argued that it's not the case that protest that activism stopped after the war ended at all. There was a large amount of protest on this campus is a very good case uh, for the last 50 years after that. Uh, so, but we're in a new period of more confrontational and um, and high stress protest because of the war in Gaza. And maybe that's what you want to talk about a little bit, right? Yeah, um, like you said, there certainly has been a very troubling relationship between student activists and activists in general with the government. And so we'll circle back to that. But I just want to get into foreign policy for a moment. Um, Right now, as you mentioned, we're witnessing the deadly war on Gaza. And the United States is the main ally of Israel, whose offensive in Gaza has killed almost 24,000 people. Um, in terms of foreign policy, do you perceive parallels between the Vietnam War and the war on Gaza? Well, the parallel is, yes, but it's it's not just a parallel, it's a continuity, you might say, that the um, United States has taken the role of being, some people call it the policeman of the world, uh, or the imperial power, the, the superpower. And so um, presidents and uh regardless of party, have tended to define American interests as global and claiming various reasons and rights to use military forces uh, overseas. And, you know, even though most, many of those, most of those interventions, including Vietnam, have led to the defeat of American forces or the withdrawal uh, of, of them before before the stated goals of the intervention happened. So you have Iraq, you have Afghanistan. These are in more recent times uh, where American forces were deployed. The difference now is, you know, we haven't sent American troops into the Middle East uh, per se, although American mil- uh, naval forces are in the uh, Mediterranean, the Red Sea, and there is now direct um, fighting between U.S. naval forces and other kinds of weaponry being used against the uh, people in Yemen that are firing on shipping and so forth. So that, and I think the Biden administration is very worried about spreading about this war spreading. So it, it the the thing that's strange and different about besides that there aren't American troops being deployed, which is a big difference in terms of the American people's experience of a war. Uh, But um, also the administration's very divided in its approach. You said it's a major ally of Israel. It's the major ally of Israel, yes, but it's also constantly saying publicly they want Israel to change its policy to scale down the war. Israel has a right to attack Hamas, they say, but not. Uh, they, they haven't really 
voice support for what Israel is actually doing on Gaza, attack the, the, the war on Gaza that is being waged. And um, I don't, it's such, it seems to me a very shaky and unstable policy that is being followed. And one big difference, which I think is really interesting, is that a lot of the people working in the White House working in the State Department and, you know, the, the, the staff have been protesting the war policy of the administration. Petitions of various kinds, a uh, considerable amount of internal uproar. And that has, that makes a difference uh, too, I think, in terms of what um, the outcomes could be. So, so if the if you think of the Vietnam period protest is largely starting and focused on the on the campuses, that's not necessarily true now. Not only because there's this uh, distress and and protest within the government, but also very large, very large uh, demonstrations uh, supporting uh, ceasefire and so and Palestinian freedom. You know, in major cities in the since since October seventh, here and and in around the world, really. So, I think it's a broader movement in certain ways. Even though most people don't have much idea of, at all of what the issues really are, the details of those issues, or even you know even or the history of it. But there's a way in which the treatment of the Palestinians now being dramatized by the genocidal kind of attack on Gaza, you know, makes people just upset, even though they don't necessarily know the ins and outs of, uh, you know, of, of why there is this conflict. So it's in a way more complicated than, than most of the issues I've ever seen, because they're, you know, the, the, the people of Israel are fear have been led to fear that their very lives are in danger from uh, Hamas and Palestinian uh, opposition. Uh, and that fear, even if it's not objectively rational, uh, is based on the fact that Jewish history has involved tremendous amount of genocide against the Jewish people for more, not only during the World War II and so forth, but, but down through the ages. And so that fear is sort of inbred and Israel was found where Israel grew into a state on the basis of being a haven for people who were refugees from from genocide so I think that the more we're aware those of us who want this war to stop and this policy the occupation of Palestine to stop and Palestinian people to have full rights it, it would, you know, if those of us who are Jewish in that cause need to uh, reach out to uh, Jews in the mainstream who have these fears and try to present them with another perspective. That's my own personal view of it. So that's what I mean by very complicated. There's a lot going on, but in a way, it's very simple. That's the other side of the coin. Simplicity is the horror that's being perpetrated. Uh, on 2 million people in Gaza um, is, is something that really the whole world is saying this has to stop. Um, and what the U.S. 
government will do is very crucial. So we have a, we in this country have an important part in this story in trying to get our government to um, make a new make a new direction. Have you seen a shift in public attitudes towards Israel and Palestine than what they were previously? Well, the big shift is among younger people. And I think um, it's very dramatic and it's, in a way, something like the, the Vietnam War where the younger part of the population was more opposed to the war than, than older people. But this is, I think this is... Uh, rooted in real history and it relates to what i just said before which is those of us who are older remember that israel was founded in the cause of helping really uh really oppressed people find uh safety and the early values of the of the state of israel were socialistic egalitarian almost utopian in the in the ideas they had about what kind of society they wanted to build and the shock to a pro really pro-israel or 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 you know progressive zionists and there are progressive zionists the shock of their lives has been how israel has turned into a uh, far right-wing state uh with fascistic uh, people in the government who really favor ethnic cleansing of the Palestinians and are, are not silent about it. And that is such a, such a contradiction to what people believed Israel was. Well, if you're young and come of age in the last 15 years, all you know about Israel is Netanyahu and the kind of government he's had, not, not the utopian, um, Kibbutzim, not the early um, situation of the Israeli population, refugees from persecution, but a very different, a very oppressive state, and uh, one that is not at all averse to using what amount to war crime types of behavior uh, in in defending it, in, in allegedly defending itself, but defending itself it looks like they're trying to expand what what the boundaries are permanently into a so-called greater Israel, which would be, you know, another part of the war crime history. Uh, so, so I, I think the divide generationally is based on this very different experience of what Israel is, depending on what you remember and what, what you know about. Um, so, the other thing that I think is not well understood about the campus Palestinian justice, Palestine justice movement is I think people assume that's made up of Palestinian students and maybe Muslim students, Arab students. But my sense of it is, is that many students of color across the board have identified with this cause and that the uh, active core of the Palestinian justice movement are not just students with Middle Eastern origin, but students of color uh, from this country, from from other immigrant backgrounds, and also a sizable percentage of the Jewish students. And I think that uh, is not understood by the general public or even by, I think, college administrations probably see this, but 
it's it's just I I uh, I I I have a personal need to make that point publicly that um, when you're talking about because there's a there's a definite move to try to suppress the Palestinian justice movement on campuses. It's a couple of campuses have banned the organizations. There's demands by the Anti-Defamation League, which is supposed to be opposed to anti-Semitism, but they've taken on themselves to oppose any criticism of Israel, that organization, and they're demanding that universities ban the pro-Palestinian student groups. Well, what that means is um, repressing students of color across the board. Maybe, uh, maybe students of Arab or Palestinian background are, people don't identify with them, you know, in the general public, but um, got to realize that we're talking about a much broader uh, uh, part of the student body. I would imagine most students on this campus now favor strongly the ceasefire, favor the Palestinian cause, whether or not they come out to demonstrations. All right. So um, in a New York Times article, you said that a lot of the protest tactics used in the 60s became part of the toolkit for activism on campuses. So as you mentioned, there have been various protest tactics used by organizers on campus. There have been die-ins, marches, statements, things like that. Um, which tactics do you feel are most reminiscent and have you seen any that are different? Well, the, well, the, the tactics that have been used are, are tactics that are um, exempt, exemplify nonviolent resistance, which I think is a... Uh, I think they're less busy conference what came to be typical later in the 60s, um, meaning that in in the late 60s, there was widespread mass occupation of uh, administration buildings going on. There was a lot of physical disruption of the campus. And I, I, I actually think uh, it's a good thing that the uh, pro-Palestinian uh, student groups and, and movement have tried to be um, more using what I would call theatrical tactics, meaning uh, putting on um, doing things physically that cause people to think about the, the issues at hand. A die-in is a very good way of representing uh, symbolically what is happening in, in Gaza. Uh, and um, uh, some sometimes people say, well, what good are are um, those kinds of theatrical demonstrations? I think in this case, uh, they are uh, they are bringing home to the ordinary daily life of people on the campus what is happening over there. In other words, it's um, you, once you see these demonstrations. Um, you are forced to think about the the actual situation, the reality of war. And um, I, I kind of, so I think there's a lot of, even though the tools are there from the past, there's a lot of, I think, creativity and um, in, in what is happening, uh, in, in what is being tried on the campuses. Uh, and I think also there must be uh, a good deal of fear among a lot of the students uh, that they're on some campuses that they're going to be disciplined simply because they are advocating for 
Palestinian rights uh, because that advocacy in some quarters is being defined as anti-Semitism. And I think that is very, very harmful uh, to Jews, the fact that there is a kind of weaponization of anti-Semitism. I don't think that the Palestinian students themselves or the pro-Palestinian student movement can foreground the feelings of, of Jews, but I think the Jewish students who are involved in protests should be thinking that part of their role is to try to challenge what's happening within the organized Jewish world, you know, and, and take account of the fears of Jewish students that they are under attack and trying to deal with those, not in in a way of ridicule necessarily, but in a way of trying to bring them over. Because most Jewish students are liberal. They want, you know, and I would imagine that even, um, even Jewish students who are not sympathetic to the Palestinian cause, particularly don't like the war that's happening, don't like what Israel is doing. And at least that's my sense of it. I don't want to be in a position of recommending what people should do. And I'm really going beyond your question. Uh, you know, I don't know that it's that important what parallels there are between today and the Vietnam anti-Vietnam protests. I think what where I'm coming from and what I've just been saying is that the 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 um, what what people might learn from that history was the fact that the anti-war movement on campus tended to be isolated from the rest of the population in the United States. So you had large numbers of people who just dismissed it as these are a bunch of hippies, uh, rich kids protesting that they, they, you know, they weren't taken seriously in a lot of quarters or they were, they were criticized. So I think efforts to bridge over and to not be isolated and to see that it, campus protests should not be uh, just, you know, separate from a larger process of challenging the war would be a, a good way to approach it It'd be based on, because that's what the Vietnam student movement realized by the end of the 60s is the need to go out into the world much more than they had been instead of just protesting on campus. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's... No, that's great. I was actually just going to ask what your advice as a former organizer would be to organizers today, but I think you pretty succinctly yes, yeah. answered that. Um, <laughs> did yeah. you have anything else you'd like to share or a message or any other info you'd want to add? No, I just think that um, uh, people should be... It's a funny thing. I'm, I'm advocating that they do protest in a way that is theatrical, dramatic, expressive of, uh, you know, and, and stirring of emotion. But I also think, and I think movement does have a lot of it, it needs to be strategic. It needs to be understanding that, uh, and for example, we are, the, the biggest danger I'm worried about politically is that students will be so angry at Biden that they will not think the election coming up is important. And the danger of that is we could be electing a criminal fascist government in this country. The youth, the younger generation vote is crucial 
and people can vote for against Trump and against the Republican Party. It isn't just Trump. It's a whole party that is really quasi-fascist. It's pretty close to a fascist party. It doesn't believe in democracy. It doesn't believe in truth. And putting, allowing that party to take power would be maybe the end of the world because that's the end of climate uh, control. It's the end of, uh, you know, it's a pro-war policy. It's a racist, you know, I, I just think the choice is so obvious. But yet some of the discourse among uh, younger younger uh, activists is, oh, we, we can never vote for Biden again. Well, don't think you're voting for Biden. Think you're voting for preserving what we have in the nature of democracy, preserving the paths that are possible for positive change. Those will close down if uh, if the Republicans come back to power. I'm really, I, I'm not alone in thinking that. And it's, it's, it's everyone's, you know, people who are like me, the biggest worry we all have is what's going to happen in this election. Because Trump, there's no reason for Trump to win based on his, um, who he is and what he has done. I see my, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, but if people don't turn out, he could win. All right. Thank you very much. With KCSB News, I'm Zoha Malik.